I'm Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 21st of February 2013. Newcomers, as always, uh, if you're new to the, the website at all and to this particular broadcast, you can look into the, the, the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You find lots and lots of uh, years, in fact, of talks I've given where I go through the system that you're born into and I explain why it is the way it is, how it came about to be, and to show you they're living in basically a designed reality. It really is designed. The future is always designed, too, by those in power, the present. And it was the same in your grandparents' day as well. Big organizations, private foundations and so on, already ruled uh, the, the commercial empire of the world. And they got together and formed a big cabal in the early 20th century and took over all of the media. Uh, they put in your presidents and prime ministers for 100 years. And they design the future for themselves and their own offspring to carry on into the future. We are just a staging rockets for the rest of the public as we make everything for them and, and conquer the world for them too as you go through the changes and the stages and so on. But really we're just, a, say, we're just the, the parts to launch the rockets and then we're boosters and then we're, we're just cast off when it's time for them to go off into the future, high tech and all the rest of it. We're excess surplus population now, actually, actually obsolete as far as you're concerned because the, the level of technology that top is way, way, way ahead of anything you can imagine. And that's the way it really is. And that's why the boys at the top are so confident now that they can rush ahead. Rush ahead. So they've already given the sciences, use the sciences on the public and the children. Every generation has been brainwashed into the next step and the next step of, of the new political correctness and so on and new ways of seeing the world by the masters. And, and it's been, it's been pretty well perfectly done. That's why most folk around you don't care what's really happening. They're quite happily socialized and quite happy to have special people who come out of special wombs, uh, ruling over them. And ruling is the word. They're quite content with that, most of them. So help yourself to the audios. Remember, too, you are the audience who bring me to you, and so you can keep me going by, going by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And if you go into the website, oh, you'll see all the official sites listed there. They all have the audios for download. They all have transcripts in English for print-up. And you can enter Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, and get transcripts in other languages for print-up as well. But uh, say it's up to you to keep me ticking along here because things are expensive. Uh, we're all going through the inflation as the money is devalued, as is, is intentionally meant to be. It's always it's actually built into the whole system anyway. And uh, from the U.S. to Canada, remember you can use and to me, send to me uh, your personal check to buy the books and discs or to donate, and you can still use a, an international postal money order from the post office to Canada. You can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, your Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. Remember, straight donations are really seriously welcome. Because I'm not backed by any, uh, I could certainly be backed by, by advertisers and bring on lots of guests that would sell you products after terrifying you, but I don't do that. I don't do that. So we're living through the time of the great transition, something that was planned an awful long time ago 
discussed by the top philosophers. We've seen it over the last ooh, couple of hundred years. And who are all paid up by the, the private foundations, by the way. We're run privately. Your government's run privately now, too. Pretty well openly, in fact. We used to call it fascist when, when governments worked uh, in collusion with international corporations. That was, that was the definition of fascism. And today we, the, the public are so brain dead and, and so ignorant because we kept, all this stuff's been kept out of their, their education that, um, they don't know uh, the actual system that runs them today. They started off calling it public-private partnerships, where the public pays for all the big corporations to get roads put in and stuff like that, and and upkeep of them while the, the private part takes all the cash and the profits. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. As I say, most folk are kept in ignorance and the school certainly, the system that keeps you in ignorance is meant to do it that way. What you get there is scientific indoctrination. In other words, it's designed by scientists, the type of indoctrination you get so that all the things that um, you might be against if you was left to yourself, uh, like stepping on dog poop, for instance, um, might offend you, you see. But they'll train you not to be offended by that uh, at school, and then when things come out in the open later on, and there's dogs uh, pooping all over the place sort of thing, I'm using this as an analogy, you see, then you, you'll think it's all quite natural. And you've got built-in default positions, as they call it. Neuroscientists and the behaviors call it default positions through repetition of slogans and terms and so on that you get from school and through the media and even from movies and comedies. These are repeated all the time until eventually you part them too. And you'll actually blush if you start to question anything that's been indoctrinated into you. You'll feel guilty for some reason. You can't explain it. And you set yourself back to the default position with original indoctrination concept coming to the fore again. Very simple. So scientific techniques have been used for an awful long time, uh, more so since the 1920s on, really boosted them in the, in the 50s and 60s, and it's a perfect science today, perfect science, especially with mass communications and the same memes and themes that get buried around. Everyone picks them up and parts them off. So it's easy to indoctrinate people and give them fake realities too. Poverty itself has got kind of a new definition, as I mentioned before, because uh, across the world now, the World Health Organization and others, big foundations, uh, are using wellness campaigns. It doesn't matter if you're living on the street, as long as you feel happy about yourself and your situation, and they can give you pharmacological drugs to help you even feel better, and so on. In other words, you don't solve the problem. The whole idea is from this bogus science called psychiatry, and um, the, the psychiatry said, well, whatever makes you break down running in this silly system, which, which is artificial, uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses or trying to even just make enough money to pay your rent, uh, all the things that break you down and, and, and you collapse. The whole idea is, well, it all happens in your head. So if you make your head feel better about it all, then it doesn't matter what the original cause was. You can still have the original cause, but you won't notice it so much. And they get you out into the system again, working, paying taxes, running your feet off. And, and uh, as long as you're happy and having lots of sex and buying and, and all the rest of it, then that's a normal citizen. In other words, they decide what a normal citizen is for you. And a normal citizen is one who doesn't concern himself with or herself with what's really happening in the world. Just go out and play, be happy, stay very immature until you're very old and die. That really is how it's done. 
And at one time, elderly people in all peoples, tribes and so on, and nations, elderly people were looked up with respect because they had a, a long history of what had happened in their heads really happened because they experienced history. Forget the books, the history books, that's all pablum. They're always written by the, the ones who already run the system. And so elderly people at one time, you go to them with problems, they'd seen it all before and here's what you do, or they tell you what happened with politics and their, their time growing up and through their life and, and how the lies come and then what they try after this ploy, they'll try that ploy and then and so on. And so you learned how the games were played. Nowadays, no one talks to the elderly. They've been shunned, in fact, and people have been taught to ignore them as being somehow useless. And uh, the movies, of course, accentuate that. And even comedies too. Everyone who, who you have seen a comedy, uh, who is elderly at all, has got Alzheimer's and just kind of mumbles and stumbles around. It's quite something else, isn't it? And again, that was part of the communist uh, system too, to, to, to literally divide the generations. That's what they said. They would divide generations. At one time, remember, not so long ago, you had maybe three generations living in a house. Grandparents, parents, and, and yourselves, children. And in came the government again uh, with its new services that now are authorities. And you dump everybody off over a certain age into the homes. And they're called exit homes. That's what I call them. Because they kill you off pretty quickly because now you're useless. And they want the government's all very happy with that, that situation because if you're still on a pension, then they can use your cash that you saved up for and paid for. So they take it all from you and you're out the way. You're dead. And that's the real world, folks. Everything's run by this particular incredible system that micromanages every part of living for everybody. And they know every single thing about everyone pretty well on the planet today. Everything. And you help them, too, with your daily updates and tweets and chats about yourself and what you're doing and so on. That's all put into virtual realities. As I say, they, they have a one for everyone on the planet, so the Pentagon admitted that. And they update them daily by all the input, the stuff you put out there. And then they run simulations on the virtual you to see how you react in this situation, that situation, and so on. Is this person marked safe? Uh, will they be unstable? They call it unstable in a certain situation of power, uh, that are authority when they're faced with authority. How will they react? And they know exactly how you're going to react in different situations. You're owned. Your mind is owned. Remember, your mind is the last bastion. Most people have never possessed their own mind. They really haven't. And what they do is they adopt the opinions given to them by experts. Look at the average here. I used to be amazed even in Britain and other countries in Europe that I'd be in. And whenever a prime minister came on, he would say all these big phrases meant for insiders, you understand. And there's dozens, maybe hundreds of press people there, never asking them, what did you mean by this phrase? Never ask, because they're all in on the big game, you see. Remember, the CFR runs all the media across the world. And, and then they have two experts on TV afterwards to tell you on two opposing sides what they think they meant by this and this and this. What a joke. If they can't be plain to you, uh, then what's all this coded language they constantly use, you see? How can you say you're free or this person represents you when it's talking to a special class of people, the world managers, not to you, <laughs> not to you at all. So anyway, people will, will say, well, I'll take this guy's opinion or that guy's opinion who, who's deciphered it all. And that's what you run with because you cannot reason or think for yourselves. It's all a joke. It's a game. 
just like politics, left and rights. They all work towards the same agenda. They end up on the same road. That's what it's meant to be. This is dialectic. And you've been through, through this all your lives. You never really notice, most of you. And you, you will pick parties. I'll, I'll pick this one or that one. This or that. This or that. <laughs> Left hand, right hand. What is it? That's what you do. But they all end up in the same path. I mean, if you look at the big boys today, uh, who, who made their names, say, on, on the left-wing parties, which suddenly became popular in the 60s, promoted from the top, through universities, because the guys who go into professorships at the top, by the way, don't go in because they want to teach people. It's because they are radical. They go in, and a lot of them are pushed in there and put in there, in fact, because they have radical views of changing the world. And then they come on and work think times come on television as professors with their expert opinions and so on. This is the so-called left wing. And I've, I've talked with Besmanov too in the different documentaries he put up on YouTube. You'll find them. We talked about the, how they called it liberalization in the West and how so well it had worked already in the 70s. It was over and done. They destroyed the dominant culture that existed in the West. Completely destroyed it. Turned upside down. Every part of the Communist Manifesto was, 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 had been pretty well successful. The, the destruction of the family unit and the extended family unit for all white, white folk, it was mainly white folks. The introduction of multiculturalism to destroy and to make sure it would never come back, you see. And, um, and suddenly multiculturalism is all the, the, the good thing to do now. Since when was that? People don't even understand how that came to be. Since when, if you are in a nation of any people across the world including Africa, since when were you suddenly supposed to be multicultural? How did it all come about? Well, I came in through the universities, as I say, there were radical professors that came in, communists, basically, and given top positions in all universities, and they themselves really were radicalized themselves. A lot of them were put in by the big foundations. And then they taught the next middle management group that turn out students, that turn out the students become the middle management and the higher management too for world controllers. We live under constant management today. So it's no big secret at all how it happened. It just folk haven't a clue, most of them, how it actually happened. And even they've adopt, adopted all this. I'm not, I don't care who comes where, but the fact is, who's got the right to make this all happen? And why? You've got to ask these really deep questions because it's incredibly important. Who benefits from this? Who benefits from it? You will find a group that does benefit. A group who actually started up communism and led communism all through the West as well. Still do. And they awfully handsomely paid, even when they come out of politics. Awfully handsomely paid, even for having talks like Bill Clinton and now Hillary Clinton as well. Quite something. Hillary Clinton's getting $200,000 a talk now. $200,000 for opening that mouth that most folk wish had kept closed all the time. So, so communism, as they would call it, works awfully well for the real communists, you understand. And you have the same thing with, with the corporations too, who live on, on taxpayers' welfare. We're always bailing them out. We're always giving them lots of money for their, private, their public-private deals. And, um, and your government's all colluding with them. See, this is the further step than the Soviet type of communism. Communism wasn't against private ownership. It really wasn't. They had private banks all through the Soviet Union. They do in China, too, so now, too. And the only, the only thing was you couldn't make money off folks' labor. 
well, you can imagine the lawyers who run communism too, by the way, uh, who who could make mincemeat of, of that, could run rings around it. Right? And they do. So in the planned society, I say that up, if you take the Darwinian theories too, and I mentioned this before, Dar- Darwin actually mentions uh, about some, how do you get an oak tree to grow? Well, before you even get uh, the, the, the seed or though you can't plant, you, you gotta get, you gotta get the ground prepared. What prepares it? Bacterium prepares it. Dead leaves of other, other trees and so on prepare it too. And nourish it, the ground. Worms do it. And so on. That's all of you. That's all your generations up to the right for that tree to grow and take over. That's the new world order, folks. And we're just the booster rockets who are burned out. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson, and using the analogy too, as I say, of the, of the oak tree growing and the ground getting prepared, and basically we're all the bacteria, we're the worms and so on, they get it all prepared for the, an elite, this oak tree to take off into the future. That's what basically eugenics is based upon, and I've mentioned for years and years and years, and thank goodness other folk have picked up on it and, and are, are pushing it now, and um, the word really has get, it got out. That this is what's happening, and it's no secret that higher universities, even special universities, in fact, because actually have ones which aren't listed in any book anywhere, by the way, for real global leaders and their children, and uh, they plan to go off into a future which you can imagine is, is beyond science fiction in a sense. And they've all got their plans. Look at the big plans they've had, just like the communist era. The communist plan had, had five-year plans for this project, 20 for this one, 30 for that, 50 for that. Big corporations use exactly the same techniques today uh, with their investments and takeovers in the future and where they want to be, and your governments do the same thing, and so does the United Nations. The future is always planned by those that hold the present, you see, the, who dominate the present. And George Orwell uh, really went into that in quite good detail in his book, 1984. So we've all got a purpose, but they say that we're, our purpose is over. Do you know in, in the, 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 it was called the Lunar Society, which existed in the days of Benjamin Franklin. And he was a member of it in London. And a strange guy, he always managed to go back and, when he was ambassador to France for the US, he could go back and forth the channel and, and he can go to operas in London and go to these different clubs that he belonged to. But, um, you found that even he and some top scientists of the day uh, met with uh, Rothschild and they discussed the coming, uh, the, the big, the, re- the really per- big push for the, for the um, industrial age. They're already into it, the, the big, big push for the industrial age because even Franklin mentioned himself in England, he said when he visited it, he was surprised at all the, he watched all the workers come up of a shoe factory one day and they're all barefooted because they couldn't afford the shoes. And really, you understand, you have a facade of a caring society today. It's just been a temporary facade, believe you me, because we're looked upon by those who rose today as the same peasants as those poor folk coming out the gates after work. But Franklin, too, belonged to the Lunar Society, and they had, were discussing this uh, big world revolution and how it was going to change everything and how they were already moving lots of folk off the country and into forcing them really into the big these slum cities they created to house them all, sometimes 20 families to, to, to a couple of rooms, uh, to work all the big machines and live in poverty, and how they didn't fix the rates. They knew how much to give them. 
because they owned uh, <laughs> the sugar industry, the tea industry, the food industry. They knew how much it would take for, for those folk to, to, to spend every, every week and every month just to stay alive and at their, and their subsistence level once they paid off the rent and so on. And they worked 16 hours a day, 18 hours a day, those folk. And nothing really has changed. The same mentality still, still grows strong because the same folk are still in charge of all. But they also mentioned that around about the, uh, in the 20th century, they believed it would peak. This whole industrial era would peak and it would be a post-industrial era. They knew that all the way back then. And they had plans, big plans discussed at those meetings in the Lunar Society for a post-industrial society for the West and how they would shift commerce across the globe. So even before they called themselves the Royal Institute of International Affairs or the Milner Group or the Cecil Rhodes Foundation with Lord Rothschild, they already had different names prior to that, you understand. Always running the future. Always running the future. To ensure that the best, which was themselves, the best offspring go off into the future and eventually the obsolete tribes will just go by the wayside. There's no more use for them. They really believed they've evolved at the top, you understand. In fact, they've always believed for thousands of years they're the most involved people on the planet. In fact, they actually seeing a lot of their own writings. They're not the same species anymore. And Bertrand Russell said the same thing. He said eventually the, the ruling classes, the real managers of the world, he says, um, will be, um, they'll see themselves as a separate species, he says. And really, he said it'd be so, it'd be impossible for the sheep to revolt as sheep revolting against the price of mutting. That's how impossible it would be with indoctrination, the techniques of control of the minds for, for whole peoples, for them to ever revolt in the future under a scientific dictatorship, which are under today. Now, again, getting back to, you know, the, the strategy of make, making sure that you devalue life. And we're awfully good at devaluing life today. It's a new normal, uh, just like so many new normals I've witnessed in my own life. Uh, I've come to pass and you get set with your new default positions. And um, the elderly were to, they, they hope, you just simply, they used to hope actually, and they used to joke about it in very high management levels, that folk would, in government levels too, that if only the, the elderly would hit the retirement age and die on that day, then the government could, could just uh, take, the, take the cash, you see, for their pension. You see, it wouldn't be wonderful if you'd organize. Well, they're pretty well organized that because most folk today really are. They're, not, they're really not living longer if you take overall statistics. Cancers are incredibly high. All kinds of brand new cancers. Surgeons will tell you they see so many new ones now, they don't have names for these kinds of cancers. All because of your inoculations and the food you eat. Intentionally, by the way. It's an intentional thing. I said years ago, and other folk have copied me since, but I've said years ago, uh, even when it came out with the big um, domed greenhouses in, in Tokyo for the wealthy to, to eat their food, all organically grown, uh, folk who worked in them that literally wore these suits you wear in, in these uh, science factories. Uh, no bugs got in there. Uh, no rain fell from the sprayed skies that we have. And uh, everything was fresh and clean because you couldn't afford that food. Then he came out with an article after it a few years ago. mentioned that Germany had them too. Other countries had them too. Just had them for years and kept quiet about it. See, they know what they're doing to us. But then again, as I say, with the booster rockets, our job's almost finished. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. So to live in this world today, you've got to be efficient, you see. And when your deficiency decreases, yesterday I mentioned an article uh, that, or the day before, that Holland was putting forth a, a proposition to pay older workers less. So the older you get, the less you get money. You know, even if you're doing the same job. It means, ah, you know, you're old, for goodness sake, you know. And all this kind of stuff. Now here's one here. Over 60 is told to go back to university and retrain to keep jobs. Over 60 year olds. And it says here, I wonder how they get the money for that too. According to the Minister for Higher Education. So elderly workers should go back to university to retrain, said the Minister for Higher Education. And it says, um, commenting on the expectation that people will be working for longer before their retirement. Because they're extending their retirement. They want you to die, as I say. They don't want you to get any retirement money at all. Mr. Willett said older workers who take courses to keep their skills up to date would be more likely to keep their jobs, he says. And that's a joke, too. That's a joke, too, because all the young CEOs and so on, guys who've been through all these higher management courses, uh, they're taught to get the young, 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 get the young guys in all the time. Everybody knows that. Figures from the Higher Education Stats Agency show that only 1,940 undergraduates who started courses last year were older than 60 out of a total of 552,240 students in Britain. I see some 6,455 were in the 50 or 60 age group. Mr. Willits, who has been in India with Prime Minister David Cameron, by the way, when we're over in India, <laughs> David Cameron says, you know, he can get a same-day visa to go to Britain. <laughs> That's not wonderful. Oh, goodness, yes. It says the age limit on student loans to cover tuition fees, which was 54, had been lifted, making it easier and, and of greater value to older people. Now, you can imagine trying to get a job once you've gone through university and you've got all that to pay back. Who's going to hire you? Who's going to give you the grants? I mean, you're probably going to croak long before you can pay anything back. Since by 2020, the state pension age is to rise to 67, and by 2033, it's awfully important, it's 2030 or 40 era that it all worked out. Since one in four people would be older than 65. Now, that's not really true either, because they're flooding more young folk in from other countries, from other articles, I keep telling you that. So education is such a good thing, and it's not reserved for younger people. It says, and he says, there's certainly a pressure for continue to continue to get retrained and upskilled, upskilled and, and what for goodness sake, you know. So, um, as I say, uh, it says loans to cover living costs while at university have an age limit of 60 years. I guess you'd live on the street. Mind you, if you have a wellness course to go with it and some good pharma, you feel good about yourself regardless, maybe you can get through that way. Not bad, eh? Now, also, I've put up this list before. It's about child molesters who are convicted, by the way who work for the British government. I'll put this one up again for those who maybe maybe probably won't be amazed anymore because you've all been, again, uh, you've been, um, you've adapted to the system as we get worse and worse and worse through all this all the crap that you watch on television. You have been. That, that's its purpose, in fact. You're desensitized. That's Article 2. It says, this is quite an interesting one. It says, gun companies refuse sales to U.S. state governments that have strict gun control laws for the public. So they're going to refuse to sell the stuff to the state governments. Security. Six new, uh, six gun companies have announced plans to stop selling any of their products to any government agency in U.S. states that severely limit the rights of private gun ownership. 
says disappointed with New York state lawmakers and other jurisdictions around the country who have passed street gun control legislation. The companies composed of firearm manufacturers, gunsmiths and sporting good retailers have announced these policies in the past week. Their various statements emphasize that such laws create a class of government employees with rights and a class of citizens without rights. Thus, they refuse to aid the enforcement of such inequality. And so it mentions that who are all involved. There's LaRue Tactical, uh, Olympic Arms is another one, Extreme Firepower, uh, Templar Custom, uh, York Arms, and ones that are cheaper than dirt, whoever that is. So some folk are really fighting back because they see what's coming. People see what's coming, folks. They've had a militarized police getting trained more into militarization in the U.S. for the last 30 years in preparation for the takedown. That's what it's for. Oh, I always said that years ago, so there's only reason for it. Also, interesting too, I was thinking of Kerry the other day, I think he's married to one in the Heinz group, loans all the Heinz food. And by the way, that's how, <laughs> it was through the big boys that got into processed foods, and with the, with the, the added advantage that mothers didn't have to cook anymore, when you used to have mothers at home, you know. And, uh, and of course, it was also a great way to put new things into your diet that would change you, like biophysiologically, it would change you. And uh, it's certainly done a good job. But it says here, the FBI is looking into possible insider trading in the options of ketchup maker H.G. Heinz Company before its blockbuster deal last week to be acquired by Warren Buffett and Brazil's 3G Capital. A bureau spokesman said Tuesday, Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway and 3G said last Thursday they would buy Heinz for $23 billion in cash. Almost immediately, option market players noted there had been extreme unusual activity the day before the deal was announced. Well, it's kind of like the 9-11 towers, isn't it? Remember all the kerfuffle about that and the airlines uh, that all had shares just vanished the day before it all happened or the week before it all happened. Everybody was withdrawing their, their money. It says, on Friday, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filed a lawsuit against unknown traders who, it said, used a Goldman Sachs account in Switzerland, well, naturally, to, to trade on purported inside knowledge of the transaction. Tuesday, the Federal Bureau of Investigation said it was joining in as well. The FBI was aware of the trading anomalies the day before Heinz's announcement. The spokesman said the FBI is consulting with the SEC to determine if a, if a crime was committed. Well, that'll go nowhere, as you all know. Also, I mentioned about the world is to go into complete some totalitarianist, well, healthcare is to be totalitarian as well. Healthcare doesn't mean what you think it is. It's everything else they give you. It's not what you think it is. It's to monitor you from birth to death. As I mentioned, Scotland's a test bed for it. And they're running it out across the rest of the world. Now the World Health Organization is talking about it too. And it says that the National Health Service in Britain says there's a, a waiting or a hidden waiting list, it says, used in Scottish hospitals. Scottish health boards trembled, uh, trebled the number of patients classified as unavailable for treatment as they strove to meet the, the Scottish National Party waiting times target, the damning reports found. And it says that the Audit Scotland found Nicola Sturgeon did not ask enough questions about how waiting time targets were being achieved when she was health minister. That's why she stayed in so long, because she didn't ask the questions. And it says um, the Audit Scotland, I guess, group found the, the proportion of patients marked as socially unavailable to attend appointments had risen from 11% to more than 30% as ministers imposed more stringent deadlines. 
Scotland's GPs led the backlash against SNP ministers by arguing the report illustrated how patient care was being compromised by politically motivated targets. Now, I did a talk on this quite a few years ago on, on the Eng- on English uh, system as well. It's the same system, really, of healthcare. And it was a, a documentary, a very well, well-made documentary was put out on television at the time where the, the, the hospital management was sending out, um, they'd find out when, they would send out these happy little uh, letters to patients waiting for cancer treatments and things and asking all, all, all little questions. And, and amongst the little questions, nearest they would give them is, when are you thinking of taking your holidays? So once they knew, they were sending them out when the, when the patients were maybe taking a break or going to visit a relative. So they didn't get it to go in. And when they didn't get it, they went back to the end of the queue. Isn't that great? The cons they pull. And these are all, this is, this stuff's all taught to them. All these, these characters become CEOs of hospital groups and so on. So we're, we're just human trash now at the bottom. So it says, um, so the same thing's been going on in Scotland here. So although the, the National Health Service is supposed to provide treatment within a specified number of weeks, the period that patients are classified as unavailable does not count towards their waiting times. Well, official figures show only 3% of inpatients were waiting longer than the target nine weeks in June 2011. Orders found that the real figure was 23% when periods of unavailability were included. So that's how they, how they, they juggle their statistics and so on, saying, oh, it's functioning so well, uh, and oh, the patient's cancelled, or they're off on holiday and so on when we sent off their time to come in for their appointments and so on. It's, it's, oh, what can you say? We're just cattle now, eh? Just cattle. Also, the military is now contracting, it says, the new era of corporate mercenaries. And it says, U.S. and Afghan soldiers at rest. And so initially, a big picture of them all. They're all PR pictures, all smelling at each other. In early 1995, Sierra Leone was on the brink of collapse. A violent civil war ravaged the country, leaving thousands dead and countless others wounded. The insurgent rebels, infamous for recruiting child soldiers, were just weeks behind or, or from the beleaguered capital Freetown, and appeared unassailable. Several months later, however, the tide turned around, the government's authority was strengthened, rebel forces were repelled, and control of the country's major economic assets was restored as diamonds at the time. Executive Outcomes, which is a private military contractor armed with helicopters and state-of-the-art artillery, artillery, helped change the course of the war. Uh, Nearly every tool necessary to wage war can now be purchased, combat support, including the ability to conduct large-scale operations and surgical strikes, operational support like training and intelligence gathering, and general support like transportation services and paramedical assistance. The demand for these services in turn has ballooned, and the gross revenue for the private military contractor industry is now in excess of $100 billion a year. And the privatization of conflict is no longer a trend. It's the normal. It's a new normal, folks. Well, they privatized everything else, your water supplies, your food supplies, everything's privatized. Since the U.S. relies so heavily on contractors during the recent Iraq war that no one knows with certainty how many were on the ground. In the late 2010, United Arab Emirates, fearful that Arab uprisings might spread to the Gulf, paid Eric Prince, the founder of Blackwater Worldwide, $529 million to create an elite force to safeguard the Emirates. And today Russia is openly considering forming a cadre of private military contractors to further its interests abroad. 
Yet the laws that govern this industry tell a different story. In self-transnational systems with meaningful collaboration, we've got a patchwork of state laws that allow companies to forum, shop, and circumvent regulations. Contractors can likewise relocate as they typically rent the equipment necessary to complete their contracts, and their primary source of capital is human, not physical. In addition to closing loopholes, states must monitor contractors and prosecute them for when they commit crimes. Well, that won't happen, folks, because this is the norm. This would get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse. And also, another one in Scotland, too, because every year is a test bed for this relief. Surveyed society and tested, testing children for psychological evaluation at the age of two months, for goodness sake. Two months old. Straight on. Through their lives. And it says that North uh, National Health Service Tayside has defended a controversial survey asking children as young as nine years old about taking drugs and knife carrying. And they also asked them about their sex life. No kidding you. I'm not kidding you. And under the guise of what's it called again, the Kuriki revealed the £225,000 worth, that's the cost of evidence to success, called Wellbeing Survey, like Wellbeing, <laughs> Completed by Perth and Kinross Children last week was part funded by the health body. So the National Health Service is funding these studies uh, on children too. It says, provoked fury amongst parents, aggrieved by the nature and tone of the questions their youngsters were asked to fill in. The 24-page survey quizzed pupils about whether they have attended a school drunk, on drugs or high, and had numerous questions about heroin, cocaine, LSD and former legal highs. For nine-year-olds, eh? They were asked whether, all in all, I am inclined to think that I am a failure or whether life is not worth it. And scales were provided in some schools so they could weigh themselves. And the whole thing is to do with well-being. You're a bit depressed. They want them all on drugs. If you're not on heroin, they'll put you on drugs to make you feel better. You see? And then it's just a question here for the 14-year-olds to 16-year-olds were asked about their sexual habits. Now, all this data goes into computerization, uh, which goes right to the government, too, and the government shares it with all these private corporations on these individual people at this age. And they'll update them all the, throughout their, all their life, you know, and they'll have all that stuff on them. And folk think this is a new normal. No privacy. Now, in Iran, Iran has some good ideas, too, you know. And there's no doubt about it, in the Muslim society, they, they don't tolerate drug pushers. All the, the characters that they used for the West to take down your culture and society was, is still heavily brought down, even with the death penalty in those countries. And they don't have the problems. Because they know that something that destroys the culture and the family unit, this is destroy, destroy them all. That's the purpose of it, folks. The Iran judiciary has handed down death sentences to four people convicted of involvement in the biggest embezzlement of money case in the country's banking history. Four people were sentenced to death on charges of corruption on earth and disrupting the country's economic system. God, can you imagine what happened in, across the world eh, with all these banks who had to bail out? Because they did it all deliberately, you know. No one had to bail them out. So Iran's judiciary spokesman, uh, Golam Hossein Mozeni, Ages told reporters Monday, the four are, and they mentioned the four guys who were who involved in it, uh, who, who were looting the people with this top bank. And the president of Bank Meli Branch in Kish was slapped with life imprisonment and former Deputy Minister Kodam Morad uh, Amadi was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Moseni Eji, who was also Iran's Attorney General, added, it says that other defendants were handed down sentences varying from floggings to paying cash fines and being barred from public office, he said. So they don't get awards and, <laughs> you know, billion-dollar paychecks in the year. Uh, 
And it's, it's also said that one of the, none of the companies involved in the case were ordered closed by the court because it was the, these individual characters that were just ripping them off. The defendants stood trial for misappropriation of a total of U.S. $2.6 billion funds by using forged documents to obtain credit from banks to purchase state-owned companies. According to the indictment, owners of Aria Investment Development Company, which is at the center of the controversy, had bribed bank managers to get loans and letters of credit. The company has more than 34, 35 offshoots which are active in diverse business activities. So four of them, as I say, I think, uh, yeah, four of them are convicted, uh, uh, I think, for the death penalty for screwing the public. What a, what a different, what a, can you imagine that kind of message getting across the world and stuff? These guys getting rewarded by our tax money and your children have to be in slavery for the next 10 generations trying to pay it off, which they can never do with compound interest for bailing them out. Also, why are major retail chains all over America collapsing? Since the economy is improving, why are so many of the largest retail chains in America closing hundreds of stores? It's happened in Britain too and across Europe. And they mention J.P. Penny and all the best ones and so on, Radio Shack and so on, all the unstoppable stores. A recent international Walmart memo that was leaked to Bloomberg described February sales as a total disaster. So why is this happening? Why are major retailer chains all over America collapsing? It says incomes are declining. Oh, okay, the experts here and telling us what's happening. Incomes are declining. No kidding. Taxes are going up. No kidding. Uh, but inflation too, and the value of money is less. Government dependence is at an all-time high. They've created a massive welfare state, which all these characters always do to take over, because you need government agencies then, and they rise to the top with their big billion-dollar paychecks as they take care of you. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the percentage of the U.S. labor forces employed has been steadily falling since 2006. Well, all your work in factories went off to China, and we paid for it all because your leaders signed it over to them. We paid through our tax money to transport the factories to China. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. Now folk don't know that we've been living under a global system your whole life in fact. It's been here for an awful long time. They only mention your nation again when they want you to go off and fight and kill other people for the big corporations. You're back to being a nation, and once it's all over, you're, you're back to being global again. You know, that's how it works. Very simple. And as I say, communism works alongside the big corporations, you understand. And they want global health coverage, global health coverage, which you'll pay for across the world. It's nice to have to be in this sort of communistic stuff. One thing, charity's not dealt with that, and that's how you, 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 you left it. And if you wanted health coverage in your own country at one time, you'd pay for it. If you didn't want it, you didn't. You didn't. And folks used to die in their own homes. And decided to die, in fact, or didn't want their, their awful treatments in hospitals. That's a choice. But in this world, of course, of globalization, there's no choices. The corporations want to run everything. And they do. So it says the World Health Organization and the World Bank. Now, we, we voted for none of these institutions at the United Nations at all. None of us got a vote on this, but they want us all to pay for the whole world's health coverage. 
This is a two-day World Health Organization, World Bank ministerial level meeting on universal health coverage began in Geneva Monday, bringing together ministers of finance and health from 27 countries with other high-level stakeholders. This is the big pharma boys and the rest of them who get in the business to discuss exploring ways that countries are progressing towards universal health coverage, sharing innovative solutions and identifying actions the global community can take to support efforts, most of its abortions and sterilizing different third world countries. But the Global Dispatch reports, according to the World Health Organization, the UHC is about ensuring that all people have access to services that promote good health, prevent illness, offer treatment, as all your injections and stuff that kill you. Uh, good treatment and rehabilitation, the news service writes, adding the services must be of good quality and effective and people must not suffer financial hardship when paying for them, which means that all the first world countries will be paying for them, you see. In her opening remarks, the WHO director, General Margaret Chan, says, I regard universal coverage as the single most powerful concept that the public health has to offer. It's the best way to, com- to cement the health gains made during the previous decade, and it optimizes the highest ethical principles of public health, which is robbing the rest of you. It's a powerful social equalizer. Well, it certainly is when they, when they sterilize a lot of women in the process, and abort them too, you know, the children. And the ultimate expression of fairness, on Thursday the World Bank Group released a set of 22 case studies of countries that have significantly expanded access to health care in the last decade with the aim of helping countries make more informed health policy and program choices, according to a World Bank press release. Based on findings from the studies, the bank is testing a new universal coverage assignment, assessment tool that will help countries access their, and assess their strengths and weaknesses in implementing the UHC universal health coverage. And, of course, as I say, uh, it's really all first world countries that want to pay for all of this too. So that's what you're there for. That's, that's your job, folks, is to produce, consume, and pay taxes. You, you have no other purpose in life. I'm not kidding. That's how you talk about you at the top. That is your function. And, uh, as I say, they don't ask you about anything at all. They just go ahead and do it. With, and these unelected bodies, this, this embryo of the world government, the United Nations, is, uh, not, nobody elects those guys. And they're not democratic, by the way. They keep pushing democracy. They're not democratic. They're authoritarian. And, and they tell your governments what to do because they're also owned by the big boys that started up the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations, and the World Bank. And the BIS. The world's privatized. And this is the feudal days too, the serfs come with land, and that's what our job is to make the crops for the big boss at the top and don't eat too much. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>